Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space. My guest today is Dr. Nick Watts, who is an expert in climate change and public health. And he is joining us to talk about a really innovative and exciting project launched by The Lancet, which is one of the pedestal articles in medicine around the world that is called Lancet Countdown. Before we jump into this conversation, and I've been looking forward to this one for a long time, Nick and I have been circling each other from other sides of the globe for several months trying to get this one down. Please definitely come and check out our website, www.explorethespaceshow.com. The archive is just bursting with incredible conversations with people like Nick, uh, doing incredible work all around the world, talking about things that are meaningful, talking about things that they're proud of. It's really exciting to be able to feature all of this great work. You can find me on Twitter at ETS show. I'm very active on social media and I love interacting with people who are enjoying the show. You can email me anytime, mark at explorethespaceshow.com. Explore the Space is available on wherever you like to download and listen to your podcast, so please do so. When you download us, please subscribe to the show. There's lots of content coming. I don't want you to miss out on any of the good stuff that's coming out. You would not want to miss a conversation with the next Nick Watts. Please take the opportunity to leave us a rating and a review. Those are really, really powerful drivers for people finding the show. Really appreciate all of the support. We're just going in such interesting and fun directions here. Speaking of interesting directions, not necessarily a fun direction, we're going to jump into climate change and public health. Nick Watts is a physician from Australia who is now living in London, and he is the executive director of Lancet Countdown, which is a huge project. It's a massive undertaking by the Lancet Journal to look at the intersection of climate change and global public health. This is going to be this already is, let me just say it that way, this already is a defining issue for all of us. Healthcare, not in healthcare. It doesn't matter. This is cornerstone stuff. We are lucky to have him. Nick, thank you so much for coming on the show. Mark, thank you so much for having me and having us. I'm so glad we were able to finally find time to make this work. Absolutely. So your road has been a really interesting one where you went into medicine and as you went into medicine, you pivoted into this work around climate change. When you started your medical career, I'm really interested in this. I'm a little bit older than you. I'm 42 years old. What was, what was the impact of climate change, of global warming, whatever terms you want to use? The, you know, we now say climate change. Where was that in the background for you as you were going through your education, as you were going through your training to the point where you said, this is going to be my career? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I think it's polite to say that it's an interesting pathway. It, it, it perhaps sometimes feels a little bit like a haphazard pathway. But, um, but I, started, I started medical school. I trained down in the University of Western Australia. Um, and, uh, you know, at some point, like all like all clinicians do, I started to think about what happens outside of, you know, the walls of a hospital, outside of the walls of a family practice. Um, I, I, came, I came across all sorts of big new concepts that I'm sure will be familiar to all of your listeners, the broader determinants of health, um, those sort of social, the economic, the environmental determinants of health. And the more I looked, the more excited I 
became by the prospect of engaging in all of these all of these sort of enormous policy challenges that were really driving the health of all of the patients that that sort of I was seeing through my studies and um, and uh, driving sort of the health of the health of the different populations at a at a sort of global level at a national level. It wasn't something that was in your face, though. This wasn't, you know, the the sort of health impacts of climate change. It's a relatively new space. It was it was an area, an issue that was really only just emerging as I was getting started. As you were going through your training, as you were going to medical school and everything at the University of Western Australia, how much did the subject of climate change, did it inform your formal curriculum at all? Was it a part of the curriculum as you were learning about social determinants of health, as you were learning about public policy, public health, the environment? Was that even in the conversation yet? No, no, not not at that stage. It was, um, I mean, this is, you know, I, I started a good sort of 10, maybe 15 years ago. This is, um, this is a while ago and the space was still just evolving. It is there now and increasingly we are seeing medical schools, increasingly we're seeing sort of public health institutes start to engage and train their clinicians up in some of these, in some of these issues, what the response, what a, what a sort of uh, a sensible response to some of these threats look like, but it wasn't something that was there. I, I stumbled across it, um, uh, you know, in, in the same way I think many of us stumble across our passions by by accidentally bumping into friends, bumping into mentors who uh, who, who sort of took me under their wing and and, and helped me get a better sense of exactly what this looked like and exactly what a career in health, climate change, broader public health looked like. There's definitely a gap there. You're right in identifying that, you know, whether it's serendipity, whether it's, you know, connecting with mentors who guide you, whatever the case may be, you have walked into a space that really needs this level of attention. I would suggest in the United States, we're in a scramble to update education update awareness, make make a formal curriculum for learners at every level, at the university level, at the medical school level, at the graduate school level, and then beyond to start to understand this. And that's why I think your work is so important. And I think that this is a natural process to get us to the Lancet Countdown. What is this project? What is the Lancet Countdown? What work are you and your team, you're the executive director of this, what are we trying to accomplish when the Lancet says we are going to take an entire issue of this journal that everyone looks around the world to as, you know, one of the real beacons of medical research. And we're going to say one whole issue, not trivial, a whole issue is going to be dedicated to climate change. What what brings us to that point? Yeah, yeah. Look, I, you are you are right in identifying that there's there's a bit of special leadership that's come from the Lancet and come from the team there in identifying just how important this is. It's not just one issue the Lancet publishes here. They they invite us back every single year. Every single year the Lancet Countdown is here publishing, researching, uh, looking at the links between climate change and human well-being. To understand why, we maybe have to take uh, one step, maybe two steps back. Um, there are There are two things, I think, that underpin the reason why we do the work we do. The first of these and we can go into sort of the exact pathways, mechanisms uh, later if it's of interest, is that in every way imaginable, climate change works to interact with and often undermine the foundations of good health, um, whether it is through uh, increases in the frequency, the strength of extreme weather events, whether it's through altering the patterns of vector-borne, water-borne, food-borne diseases, whether it's through migration, exacerbation of poverty, climate change is there as what we sort of think of as a threat multiplier for all of the challenges that 
we face in Australia, in the United Kingdom, in the United States, but also in Brazil, in Peru, in China, all, all around the world. So that's the first thing. Climate change is this enormous threat to public health. The second half of that is, hey, when you sit down and you take a look at what you might want to do to respond to climate change, when you say, listen, I want to phase out coal-fired power and we need to be encouraging people to you know, decrease their reliance on, on sort of cars and increase their physical activity, and when we talk about uh, sort of needing local, seasonal, healthier diets, if you're a doctor like, like you are, like I imagine, um, you know, or a clinician, like I imagine many of your sort of listeners are, we don't see climate change interventions. I, I, I look at that and I just see sensible public health interventions. Much of what you want, what we want to do to respond to climate change, they're just sensible, cost-effective public health interventions in your own, in their own right. And so, on the one hand, we have climate change as this threat. On the other hand, we have the response to climate change as this potentially enormous opportunity for public health. And that's that's basically sort of the reason why we're here. And what the Lancet Countdown does, uh, we're a collaboration of 27 of the world's leading institutions, academic institutions, UN agencies scattered across the world, every continent with pretty much every discipline I can imagine. Um, we track a world that is responding to climate change. And every year we come back and we report on a series of indicators looking at precisely what is happening around the world in terms of the impacts of climate change. And then in terms of the health benefits of any of those responses. I am still kind of figuring out how I personally am evaluating a response to climate change. And I'm trying to think of it almost like the scales of justice, where on the one side, we have the pressing weight of climate change. And then on the other side, we have the human response to climate change. And, and how are we trying to balance those things out? If you would ask me two years ago, where are we? I'd have said the left side, the climate change impact is pushing us down and crushing us into the ground. And that would have been right after the Tubbs fire in October of 2017, which burned my city right. uh, of Santa Rosa. Um, when I see things like the Lancet countdown, I start to feel like the left side of the scale is at least up off the mat, right? <laughs> Our shoulders are at least off the mat. We're not about to get pinned. <laughs> Yeah, look, I think that's that's right, and I'm so glad that you picked up on that because because it's really important that as we as we get better at understanding global environmental change and the impacts that has on these crucial ecosystem services, the impacts these that has on our on our health, um, that we understand that there are two sides to this coin. You're absolutely right. There are some really crushing blows that um, that some of this rapid change can can deal to to sort of health infrastructure to social well being. But it's it's so important that we remember that there is a positive response there. It's so important that we remember that, hey, the world where you respond to climate change, where we where we phase out coal in the air is a is is a lot cleaner, where we have healthier diets, where we're designing cities around people rather than around cars. That's a world we want to live in, and that's a positive place to be. And I think you're you're also right in in identifying that we're just starting to get there. We've known about these problems for thirty years, thirty five years, forty years, maybe. For the last 30 years, we really haven't seen anywhere near the level of a response at the global level, at the individual local level um, to climate change. But just recently, I think I think your timing is spot on. I, I place it for me around 2015, around the moment of the Paris Agreement, was a big international agreement uh, focused on climate change. 
And that was important, but it was also important for what it symbolized. It symbolized really a, a sort of global shift in the way that I think the world thought about climate change. Just since that moment, we have started to see some really profound changes in the way that countries and uh, different continents, regions run their energy systems, in the way they run their transport systems. And that gives me a little bit of hope as well. I think you're, I think you're exactly right. When you say the Paris Accord, I smile on one half and I wince on the other. I smile because I think you're right, that it is a true indicator of consensus and progress. And I wince because my country pulled out of it. And that is disappointing in the extreme. And then I smile again because the state of California is really trying to lead the way and be a beacon in terms of how we can respond to climate change. Because if California doesn't respond, California is going to get destroyed. Um, the last couple of years of what's been happening in this incredible place to live are, it's just crushing. It's so sad. It's, it's, it's frankly, it's, it can feel intimidating sometimes because these things happen. They feel so out of control. They're so disruptive and destructive. But what I'm hearing from you and what I think the Lancet is, is doing too, and I, and this is, I think, probably what resonated with me the most and why I really wanted to talk with you. There's lofty stuff, right? Moving away from coal, rebuilding cities, restructuring these massive things. There's this new term that's kind of flying around in the zeitgeist, at least in the United States, of the Green New Deal, things that we can definitely get behind in theory. But what I'm also hearing from, from you, from the Lancet Countdown, and from real you know, leaders like yourself, the individual has a role to play. And the individual, starting today, can be pulling really important levers to, to move the needle. Because if the individual is doing it, and all of the individuals start to do it, the needle will move. Can you speak to what those levers that the individual who listens to you, who reads The Lancet, who just wants to feel more engaged in this, what are some of those levers that they can start to pull? I'm Australian, and I hope my accent <laughs> conveys that. But for being Australian, that means I understand sort of all too well what it means to have a government that's moved too slow for too long. Right. Um, so I, I share your I share your wincing. I think we all do, right? I mean, you said it's been 30 <laughs> years. I was 12 years old, and I think that 30-year demarcation is exactly correct. I remember yeah. there being conversations. The first terms were like greenhouse gas and yeah. fossil fuel emission and hole in the ozone layer. And these sorts of things. And we started recycling programs in our schools and we started to do stuff like we've been aware of this for so long. That's, and that's right. But you've also you also have to remember, you know, simply because you've had uh, sort of at the federal level, um, a shift in policy in the United States. That doesn't mean that that sort of permeates the entire way through the, the no, economy right. and the country. You guys right. you guys have a fantastic initiative called We Are Still In which has sort of representatives from all 50 states. As far as I'm aware, like almost 154 million Americans um, sort of represented in some way, shape or form and something like nine, ten trillion dollars. My jaw just uh, dropped. I've never heard of this program. What is it? Called? Oh, it, 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 it's, it's, a, it's a fantastic response to the withdrawal from the Paris Agreement. It's well worth looking up. We are still in. And it's simply saying, listen, simply because uh, simply because at the federal level, uh, we we may no longer be be sort of formally in the Paris Agreement, although uh, as of right now the United States is because there's a few lags that come up when you're trying to withdraw. Right. Even though at the federal level we may not be, hey, there are states, there are individuals, there are companies that are still going to try and commit to to the to the yeah. agreement that we. And I think that's probably what California is trying to to assert <laughs> and trying to sort of flex its muscle, given that its its GDP is one of the largest in the world. I think that that's probably in reference to it, but. 
we'll do some research. I'll make sure that we have links to this program available in our show sure. notes. But let's. But take take us back though. Take us back yes. for you know Sorry. Mark Shapiro today, this afternoon. I'm gonna. I, I want to do something. What are those levers that you're guiding? Not just people who are reading the Lancet, but your friends, your colleagues, mm-hmm. you know, your patients to say these are the levers you as individuals can start to pull. Yeah. Look, uh, and it's really important that we have those levers, right? It's really important that we have uh, things at the broader level. Coal phase out, absolutely. But it's also important that there are things that individuals can do. It, it can be anything uh, from something as simple as. In Australia, we consume six, six and a half times uh, the recommended daily intake of red meat. That's terrible for your health. It's terrible for uh, rates of colorectal cancer, for ischemic heart disease. Cutting down on that, just going back to the healthy level of consumption would do an enormous amount to reduce the emissions of an individual. Cycling, walking to work, um, these are healthy interventions that, you know, as it turns out, are good for the environment. There are all sorts of small things that an individual can do to reduce their own emissions, and I think that's important. But, but equally, you know, the the sort of the communications, the advocacy side of this, making sure that our elected officials are aware that hey, this is an issue that we care about. This is an issue that when we go to the when we go to the polling stations, we're going to be thinking about in the back of our minds. That's that's just as important. And and then there's and then there's what happens in the healthcare clinic. Right. There are there are things that individual doctors, nurses, physiotherapists, pharmacists can do to reduce their own emissions. We we know in the United Kingdom, uh, we have a fantastic example of something called the NHS Sustainable Development Unit. Um, It's part of the NHS and it has been working uh, for about a decade now looking to reduce the emissions of of the National Health Service. Now, that's important because, as it turns out, the emissions of healthcare globally are responsible for about six, seven percent of global global carbon dioxide emissions. Global Can you CO2 restate emissions. that? Say that again. So so healthcare itself is um is responsible for an enormous, enormous part of our carbon carbon footprint. Anywhere between sort of six to seven percent. Um, Holy cow. Well and, and it makes sense when you think about it. When you think about just how intensive all of the different things that we have to do in terms of manufacturing of drugs, the transport, the the infrastructure, the buildings, anything from from you know getting a patient from A to B via ambulance or via transport through to autoclaving, you know, surgical instruments after after theater. Um, that's an enormous amount of energy and uh, and CO2 as a result that comes out of that. That's the bad news. The good news is, the NHS provides a fantastic example of all of the things that you can do to reduce the emissions of, of the healthcare system. What's exciting about that is that they managed to reduce their emissions by almost 10% over the last decade, an enormous reduction. As far as I can remember, it's a reduction about the same size as the entire profile of the country of Malta. It's an enormous amount that they've reduced it, but they've done that while saving money and they put that money back into patient care. They've done that whilst improving patient satisfaction, um, and they've done that on the background of an increase in activity. So it's not that the NHS, the National Health Service, has done less stuff. It's done more stuff. It's done more for its patients, but it's managed to decrease its emissions in a really exciting, positive way. How do we make things like this more forward-facing? One of the things that I'm, I'm just picking up on personally, we are 20 minutes into our conversation. There are three different things that you have said to me. And I'd like to, I guess I'm not as much as I thought, right? Hubris is not a virtue. I thought I was reasonably well-informed. You've said three different things to me where I have, my jaw has dropped. 
I feel like we are really in this place of we have just got to figure out how to trumpet these achievements because when you say that, first, that juxtaposition of 6 to 7% of all global emissions of carbon dioxide come from the healthcare industry, but then on the flip side, interventions that are not based on cutting back on patient care that actually happen in the background of increasing patient care and improving outcomes still lowered emissions by 10%. These are the, these are like the footholds. These are the like, these are the patons that we can scale the face with, but we're, are are we getting the word out enough? Look, I I don't think so. I, I, but I think you're exactly right in identifying that these are the, these are the important things being able to say, Hey, this is a world we want to go to. Right. This is a world where healthcare is better, where it's more efficient, where we're able to put more money back into prevention, more money back into public health, um, is, is exactly the right message to start communicating for a little too long we have talked about all of this as though it's going to be a pretty grim future um and look if we if we head down the wrong path absolutely but the response to climate change is is a pretty exciting sort of positive place to be i i see a lot of our challenge going forward is partly taking examples like we've seen in the united states and replicating that and there are there are fantastic physicians and um, clinicians scattered around the united states scattered around the world who are doing this work i i see that as one part of the challenge i see the other part of the challenge as communicating that success demonstrating that these these sort of real world transitions to a low carbon economy result in real world health benefits um, I, I think that's I think that's the challenge. If 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 sort of we've been held up for the last three decades, that's the challenge of the next three. And I would say that that's probably going to be your calling, insofar as there are so many different places to go with this. Right? It's such a big undertaking. There's so many different roads. There's roads we haven't even thought of or mapped out yet. Your charge feels like you're the guy with the really bright spotlight saying, Hey, you need to look at this. Hey, you need to look at that. Hey, let's share some knowledge around this together. Does that feel like a calling to you personally to say, I want to be the person that elevates the narrative that raises awareness of these incredible things being done all over the world so that people can start to take action. That's right. I, part of the problem we've had in climate change is, is that for too long, we have thought about it and talked about it as though it is an issue that is going to affect only polar bears. Those polar bears probably live a long, long way away, probably somewhere in New Zealand or, you know, somewhere sort of ages away from Australia or the United States. And and they're probably going to be impacted sometime by the end of the century. The, the thing that understanding climate change as a public health issue, as an issue affecting sort of cities, communities, as an issue affecting women's health, children's health, businesses, jobs, is that it helps us realize that, hey, there. this is something that's impacting us today. This is something that every individual should care about because it's, it's going to sort of affect everyone. Um, but it also gives us, gives us those sort of positive examples to hold up. And I think it's probably at this point just quickly worth mentioning, I know I've already said it before, but just how lucky we are to have a few leaders, a few champions like the Lancet, like the Royal College of Physicians, like the British Medical Journal, the Canadian Medical Association, the American Public Health Association, these these sort of leading institutions that have stood up and said, we're going to start to communicate these sorts of successes. We're going to start to demonstrate these sorts of successes. And we're going to uh, we're going to sort of shine that light going forward. So, so absolutely, that's that's the work that 
that I'm, I'm interested in and, and want to be doing while we're sort of basing all of this in sound evidence. But, but I'm not alone, and that's, that's reassuring as well. You're not alone, but we need to raise the voltage. There's a yeah. lot more organizations out there that I think we should be expecting to be sounding that same call to action. Uh, and I think hopefully your message, hopefully conversations like this one will help to press them forward to say, just like on issues like gun violence and cigarettes and nuclear weapons, that this is a place where physician activism, where physician societies around the world, where all our leading civil organizations and all of these entities need to be sort of saying in voices stentorian, this has to be different. I look, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, it's yeah. um it's unless we come to understand climate change as an issue that impacts absolutely every aspect Everything, of society. Right. right. Uh, we're not going to make the kind of track, uh, the kind of sort of tracks, the kind of pace that we need to make yeah, at yeah. the global level fast enough. I always like to talk with my guests when they come on the show, when they're talking about issues that affect society and things like that. I like to always inquire about pushback. And in this case, I don't care. I'm actually not going to ask you that question. I don't care if there's pushback because honestly, there isn't time for it anymore. We know that there are people who deny climate change. We know that the current president of the United States likes to make snide remarks about global warming <laughs> when there's cold temperatures. I'm not interested in that conversation, and there's no room for airtime for climate change denial. I think we need to move past it and just say, look, it's never going to be 100% consensus, but the right work is the right work. Listen, I was um, – I was lecturing just yesterday talking to a few students and um and got a question about how we deal with um or how i deal personally with uh with sort of people that question question sort of the very existence of climate change and i think my response was well firstly i make sure that that's what they're doing i make sure that they don't have a legitimate scientific or research question then i attempt to answer their question as best i can but the second i realized that that this is someone that is not going to respond to the thousands and thousands of publications and and sort of the weight of evidence that we have out there i very quickly move on we we no longer have i never have a discussion about whether or not climate change is happening it just is it's not a matter of belief i never have a discussion about whether or not i believe in climate change it's a matter of science not a matter of belief there is absolutely space to have a discussion about precisely how will it impact us at what point will we expect various things how far should we respond um, but that discussion is a fundamentally different discussion from, from one that I think we've seen in the past from, uh, sort of climate deniers, people that say, listen, I simply don't believe that this is anything out of the ordinary. All of the warning signs are flashing red and they have been for a very long time. Um, it's, it's not a conversation I have anymore. I agree. So then let's move to how we mobilize and educate your one person. And we've talked about how, you know, the things that one person can do uh, in terms of impacting climate change. But let's talk a little bit more larger scope. What levers are you with the Lancet countdown pulling to affect this at a scalable level, at a population level? I know, you know, when this, this, last, epi this last issue came out, there were conferences and webinars all around the world. They were synced up. It was actually really cool. It was very elegant. And they were all on Twitter and Facebook. And it was really, really great. Are you leveraging, I think what I'm trying to ask here, in what ways are you leveraging 
modern technologies to guide this work? Are you using social media? Are you getting to people where they live, getting away from, you know, journal articles behind a paywall that no one will ever see in an obscure reference text, getting out to Instagram and Twitter and all of these sorts of places where you know your readers and you know people who may or may not be engaged, where they are, where they live. Absolutely. We've got to make sure that these that these reports, that this science, when it's out there, is, is more than just another report that collects dust. We, we, have, we have far too many of those. And the one thing I've learned is that another report sort of just talking about the evidence that no one reads is not going to do anything. Yeah. It might make us feel good about it and it might help your publication rate, but it's not going to it's not going to help solve the problem. We, we dedicate, and we're probably quite unique in, in this regard, we dedicate a, a sizable portion of our time, probably half of my time, goes into ensuring the broader communication of our research, goes into uh, social media, traditional media, goes into engaging and working with government, with policymakers. So when we, when we talk about you know, the, the big annual sort of splash that we have when, when these reports come out, um, we spend a lot of time working with journalists, making sure that the research is accurately translated. And it's that kind of work that sees us uh, sort of landing front page issues on, on papers and outlets like the Daily Mail in the United Kingdom. That's, um, that's one of the largest sort of circulating papers, but it's a paper that traditionally doesn't spend an enormous amount of time talking about climate change. It sort of normally has other focuses. And so uh, we spend a lot of time trying to make sure that we are breaking out of our bubble Equally, you you asked about social media. Absolutely, we uh, Twitter is uh, Twitter is sort of one of the one of the core ways that we engage with the broader broader sort of public. <laughs> one of my proudest moments was back in 2015. We had a we had a fantastic report that came out trying to assess the sort of and quantify the health benefits of a of a global response to climate change. We we ended up trending globally, um, and that was exciting. But what was far far more exciting was that we were trending just above Batman and just below Taylor Swift. Um, and, <laughs> and it was just so great to see an issue that, you know, we've been working on for so long, sort of getting getting that attention. I think that's the power of health. I think that's the power of medicine. It's the power of sort of talking about this from a new perspective is is that you start to, you start to sort of reach out beyond the normal echo chamber of, of people that engage in these issues. And I think that's what's fun about this conversation, right? This is a podcast. I'm a doc in California. My audience is primarily not physicians, but they're people with an interest in healthcare. Lots of people who listen to my show are physicians too, I'm proud to say. But it's a very diverse audience. So this is getting the subject matter out. But what's there's got to be more levels, right? Like I want to see you at South by Southwest in Austin, Texas. I want to see you at Comic-Con. I want to see you at movie festivals. I want to see you at TechCrunch. I want to see you in all of these places. Is, is there interest from real things that move the needle from a societal level, right? Pop culture and these sorts of things. Is there an interest in engaging with this kind of work? Look, I, I there certainly is from from the side of the researchers, from the side of the um, the, the people working in climate change. I, I and I think there is growing interest from sort of all of those cultural outlets you're you're starting to talk about. I, I we are increasingly seeing climate change be sort of woven in, not necessarily you know entire movies um, on on climate change, although we've seen this, those too. But it's just woven into the fabric, into the background of video games on on pc it's woven into the background of um of sort of poems songs art uh creative dance and that's 
that's another that's another sort of piece of that piece of that battle, right? Is 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 to make sure that people understand the the sort of sheer enormity of 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 that problem and what you're what you're dealing with. It's as always, it's never quite sort of at the level we need it to be. But, but the challenge with something like climate change is, oh, it's, it's such an enormous problem. So the response to climate change, you know, almost everything looks inadequate in the scale. You know, if you if you sort of consider the scale of all of the carbon that we're talking about that's locked into our buildings, into our transport systems, our agriculture, our waste, our healthcare systems, our hospitals. But I think we are starting to see progress. It it varies from country to country. You know, one of the one of the countries I have been most impressed by uh, over the last couple of years that, that we work with um, is, is China. There, there are some really, really impressive, very sensible sort of public health interventions that are being put in place to respond to climate change. And there's a there's a much broader cultural understanding, a much more a much longer term understanding about the role of sort of uh, the role of tackling tackling some of these issues. It really put it really puts at least Australia to shame, um, my own country, where where perhaps we're a little bit slower. There was a book that I read few months ago it's called new york 2140 and it's by kim stanley robinson and it's yes, set in the year tw- you know that book yeah I do. oh fantastic. my god it's fantastic it's grim it's grim in the extreme <laughs> but if we think about too right you know we talk about global phenomena like let's talk about game of thrones for a second because as i was listening to you describe you know the way that we sort of all need to focus on this and when i say we this is humanity you look at game of thrones right it's this incredible show it's super popular people around the world love it and it's it's two phases it's everyone squabbling and and killing each other and fighting over these the things around the throne itself. But then you look at the imminent threat to this whole society, right? The, the white walkers, the frozen people coming down from the North. There's something in that fascination with game of Thrones that I, I hope will, will resonate. I think that there's, there's some connective tissue that we can draw there. We do as a, as a, as a, as a species need to figure out how to get shoulder to shoulder around this, or this is going to go really, really badly. Yeah, look, I, I don't know if this is true or not, but I have heard from a few people that, in fact, uh, this winter, these White Walkers in in Game of Thrones was was in large part modelled off climate change. That that it was an insidious problem that you couldn't see necessarily. It was a long way away, but it was certainly coming. When it came, it was going to overwhelm anything you had unless you were able to marshal, you know, everything together. It was something that was temporally sort of you know, a long way away as well as, you know, in some cases geographically. I, I, I've heard all sorts of, I've heard all sorts of um, really interesting parallels drawn between, drawn between sort of the Game of Thrones novels and, and series and, and climate change. But, but you're exactly right. That's the insidious thing about climate change is, is that it's everywhere, is that it's temporally distant. It is geographically distant, or at least it's perceived to be temporally distant and perceived to be, to be geographically distant. Um, and that doesn't gel particularly well with the way that we organize society. It doesn't gel particularly well with the way that, you know, the sort of planning schedule for governments, the planning schedule for hospitals. Um, uh, the important caveat there is that is that climate change is only perceived to be temporally and geographically distant. The research that we do and the work that sort of underpins the indicators, the monitoring system that we have in place with the Lancet Countdown suggests the exact opposite. There are there are two key findings that came out of 
that came out of our 2018 report, um, published just a couple of months ago in The Lancet. The first one was these present day changes, these changes we are already seeing today, have already been seeing for a couple of decades, are already threatening to overwhelm public health infrastructure around the world. And already no country is immune, no individual is immune. So, so, so this sort of understanding or this perception of climate change that it's a long way away and we don't have to worry about it it's it's just entirely wrong this is this is an issue that is threatening human health today and it's an issue that uh that is threatening everyone's health today that's the alarm and i i am i'm right there next to you uh, from that perspective a because it's based in science and we can see it but also look i think everyone now has a story i have a story i watched part of my city burn to the ground yeah Californians have stories. People in Australia just went through an extraordinary stretch of extreme weather where, you know, I would imagine large parts of that nation felt like they were uninhabitable because it was so hot. Yeah. We all have stories now. We're not waiting for them. They're here. And I think that that is the real call for action, for engagement, for involvement. And I think that's why the work that you're doing, you know, we've got long lives ahead of us, hopefully. And for them to look and feel the way we want them to, we do need to be working on this together and we need to be encouraging people next to us to be working on it together and not wait for some other entity to do it for us. It's go time. You're exactly right. And look, it's, it's, it's go time for everyone. It's, it's the scale of the problem may be enormous, but it's, but it's not something we can wait for an individual government. No one government can solve this problem. Not even every government together can solve this problem. It needs, it needs business. It needs individuals. It needs, community organizers, this is, this is an issue that everyone has to engage with. And that may seem daunting, but, but the, the thing to bear in mind is this is an issue that we can build into our everyday lives. You can be a, an excellent surgeon, an excellent physician, an excellent clinician, and you can also build in sort of systems into your practice that help reduce your own carbon footprint, or you can build in systems into your practice that help you and your sort of healthcare system adapt to future climate change and protect the, the health of the sort of populations that you care for over the coming decades as as things warm and as the as the environment changes. We can we can build all of all of these responses into into the work that we do into the things that make our lives meaningful. It's not that everyone has to suddenly drop everything and become a climate change activist. It's that we just need to understand that this response to climate change is about almost renegotiating our relationship with the natural environment, coming to appreciate that actually, as it turns out, clean air, safe drinking water, uh, nutritious food, they are core tenants that we just depend on and we didn't realize were so important until they started to change, until the rug started to be pulled out from under us. So we just need to come back to that understanding and re-embrace that. There's work to do and you're helping to lay it out. And I think one of the most important things that you're doing is sounding the alarm so that people start to wake up and, and take action. And you're going to have a long career ahead of you and a lot of work to be done. It's it's so exciting that we've already got so many bright, motivated, intelligent people mapping out actionable stuff, actionable pieces that anybody can start to grab a hold of. This has been an absolutely extraordinary conversation. I've loved it. It's been it's a little daunting, as you say. It can feel a little scary, but it, it's the right work. It's it's the work that's going to define our future together. So let's get started. Nick, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I've had a great time. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. 
visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.